Okay, hello everyone. Welcome back to the Martial Arts Mania podcast. That is correct. I am AJ. And I am Gavin. Excellent. Sorry, it's been a minute. You know, uh, conflicting schedules. Actually, this episode you're going to get today, uh, I recorded a few weeks ago, but uh, it was decision after decision of how I was going to edit this episode. I went through lots of different cuts of it until I finally decided to only edit out a short amount and then we are going to split it into two episodes to be, do be released back to back. And dare I ask who the special guest is that warrants two episodes? Yes, this special guest is a, I would like to consider a good friend of mine now, uh, a Sifu of mine, uh, just a very incredible human being, very inspirational. Uh, I've been a fan of his since I was a kid, and that would be... Sifu Leo Fong, the creator of his own system of martial arts, Wei Kundo, a, uh, I guess you could say a pioneer in fitness mm, within martial arts, an author, uh, an actor, writer, director, and probably most famously known as being a good friend and training partner of Bruce Lee's, mm-hmm. uh, particularly during the Bay Area years, the Oakland yep. years, but also, as he reveals... In this episode, uh, he did go and train in L.A. with Bruce quite a few times. That's pretty awesome. I'm I'm really looking forward to hearing yes. this episode. Gavin, unfortunately, has not heard it yet. That is my bad, but he will be hearing it along with all of you. Well, I don't know if it's... I think this time I, I'm... Usually, I'm pretty lucky to be able to go along, but this time I'm I'm really excited to listen to the episode. And as a note for uh, people, when it comes to Sifu Leo... He uh, is a great storyteller, and he has a tendency to talk a lot, and I have a tendency to love to listen to all his stories. So that's why I decided to not really cut out that much, because I was thinking, oh man, maybe I should make it flow a little bit better, but I was actually listening to it again with Jessica, my uh, wonderful girlfriend, and I said, babe, did you find that interesting and stuff? And she's like, yeah. But it's just, you know, sometimes he goes off on tangents, but <laughs> they always come back to a, a relevant reason. And you're mm-hmm. like, oh, okay. So, you know what? If uh, people think it's a little long-winded, you know, you could always fast forward. Or if you decide to turn it off for a while, I will not take any offense. But I've decided to leave most of it in there uh, just because I love to listen to his stories. He has so many great stories. And one of the goals I really wanted to go over with this episode was to have him talk mostly about him, about his background, his his story, which is so fascinating to me. And uh, obviously Bruce does come up a little bit, but not all that much. And I'm, I'm really happy we got to focus on him. And so we ended up uh, recording for about an hour and a half and we didn't even get to the what I would call like post Bruce era, right? You know, where so his entire film career and everything pretty much like 1970s on. So it sounds like there might be a part three down the road. There's going to be. And we do announce that you'll hear it in part two. See if Leo and I decide uh, when he's back in his school teaching. Yes, he still teaches at age 91 or 92. I'm that's pretty off on my head. Yes. Very inspirational uh, that we're going to go and train a little bit and then record a second episode about the second half of his life. But when we went to record this, I actually went to his home because he's on, uh, he was on doctor's orders to rest at home for like a month. He had a little bit of a lung, uh, infection of some sort, Mm -hmm. but he's still, you know, it's like, he was telling me, he's like, no, I I don't let that stop me. I'm still, you know, getting my, my 20,000 steps a day. And he, he literally had weights just around and he still works out, you know, like the guy's just incredible. 
very inspirational. And I'm, I was fortunate enough to get to start training with him about, uh, God, is it two and a half years ago, three years ago? And he, he can still move incredibly well. So, uh, how much do you know about Leo Fong? You know, I, being that I was living in Japan when I was being exposed to a lot of the martial arts, I came to the American martial arts influence pretty late in the game. So for me, this is going to be a lot of groundbreaking information that comes out of this podcast. I'm looking forward to particularly hearing what's promised to come in part three, mm-hmm. but I'm definitely going to just like eat up these two podcasts. Oh, and I think you're actually going to like this one a lot when you hear his background because, uh, First of all, I've been a fan of his since I was a kid because uh-huh. I saw him in the documentary Top Fighter. Oh, yeah. So did you ever see that yes, one? Yes, I did see that yes. one. Of course. And I first saw him and I saw this. This is my VHS that uh, I just I watched so many times. Uh, it eventually melted. Now, that would, be, <laughs> that would be misleading for me to imply that it melted from watching it too much. But it did melt because I left it in the backseat of my car in high school in the Central Valley, California, <laughs> and it melted. But that just goes to show how often I was watching it because well, I you took need, it with you me Well, you need it everywhere. near you. Yeah, yes, absolutely. I, as insane as that sounds, it was my go-to. I, I watched it so many times, and he's in there talking about, you know, his experience training with Bruce. And I, I was like, who is this guy? Like, he's so fascinating, his southern accent and stuff. And uh, it was a couple years ago at Dragon Fest I got to meet him, and he and I have a very good uh, mutual friend, uh, Dr. Antonio Graceffo, the Brooklyn monk. And that was the first thing I said to him. I said, oh, Sifu Leo, you know, we have a mutual friend, uh, Antonio, the Brooklyn monk. And we just hit it off and he invited me to come train with him. And so I've had the privilege of going to train in his system with him a few times, Wei Kundo, which literally like translates as, so people recognize Kundo as fist way, like in Tik Kundo, but Wei Kundo is like the stomach or mm-hmm. like digestion type way. Uh, or in manner be way to doubt. And so in the next one we record, I will have yeah. him discuss how that came about because it came about when he was in Hong Kong. Yeah. When he needed a name for his system, he was kind of developing. But, That's really cool. Yeah. And so he, I did have some of his movies as a kid, particularly I had Blood Street with mm-hmm. Richard Norton. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was rewatching that the other day on YouTube. It's kind of crazy. It, it is. It's, it's crazy. It's a neo-noir yeah. uh, filmed mostly like a classic film noir, but... Mm-hmm. The, that's you know it's it was low low budget fare before like really the home video era because it was the 80s still but yeah. it was it was incredible these movies he'd get financed and i'm sure he'll talk about this in the next one we record how much money they made well it, it, and so like just to talk about his 80, 80s movies the first i think it's an 80s movie you, you might correct me mm-hmm. uh the first movie that i saw that i was actually aware of who he was was Hawkeye. Yes. And that movie blew my mind. Right. Just his uh, his camaraderie with... Uh, oh, come on. You got to help me oh, but No, no. He's not in it. That's George Hawkeye's Chung. Hawkeye's not... Wait, no. But what is he, he doing? He directed. He directed yeah, no, He directed. Yeah, yeah. So that the... Oh, my god. The goodness. actor is George yes, Chung. Yes, Chung. George Chung. Yeah, but uh, the, the... The Taekwondo guy. But his... his the way he cut the 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 scenes together yes. of the... Like, it was like the two two cops working together. Right. I've never seen edits that quick mm-hmm. in a film on a budget that, what I would presume, is that small you know or what the, that tight. You know what the only problem with that movie was? Was just not enough fight scenes because the fight scenes were great. No, the fight like, scenes were phenomenal. They're Chuck like, Jeffries, they're both fantastic performers. I just I know. wanted more. No, they, and just the way they were like on screen, the, the screen presence together. He knew how to like frame the shots uh just getting the most out of both those actors because I haven't seen any other film with either of those actors 
at that level, except for maybe Chuck Jeffries in one or like in Honor and Glory, which I really love, but his, you know, his role was, you know, kind of restricted a little right. bit. Right. For sure. For sure. Oh, and Blood Moon, I mean. Oh, yeah, Blood Moon. But and, yeah. But and, I mean, you know, he's, he's pretty good in he, uh, whichever version you want to call the Richard Norton film. It's been released as Rage. And, and Death, uh, is it Death Fight? Uh, he's yeah. in Death Fight. It's uh, it's not Death Fight, right? Or oh, it is Death Fight. That's the version. Where he's I bringing have. the, the yeah, dreads, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Yes. And his accent changes throughout the movie. Yes. He's dubbed part of it as Jamaican man, and then another <laughs> yeah. part is like him doing the Jamaican accent, but it's way less. I love that movie, though. No, but it, yeah. So that that's the, the first the first film when I was aware of who Leo Fong was. That right. was it. And I'm like, now I'm now I understand what he's doing. But. Right. And so, real quick, a few notes uh, about the episode uh, before we get into other news and so forth. So throughout the episode, he he demonstrates uh, a lot of martial arts moves for me while we're sitting there. And I try serious? to explain them as best as I can, but I just get so excited, I forget. But uh, I, most of the time, I do a good job of explaining, oh, he's doing a jab hook right now, or so forth, so forth. Also, I do want to uh, acknowledge right now, in case anybody is sensitive to it, he does, because Sifu Leo grew up in Arkansas in the 1930s mm. as a Chinese immigrant. So he does explain about the rampant racism that he encountered and other minority groups encountered around him. So he does use some racial epithets uh, when describing the situation. And obviously these are not in a malicious manner mm -hmm. he is literally just explaining the situation as it was well i mean it's it's phenomenal to have someone who has that background living in that era oh, yeah. I, it's 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 what what i'm looking forward to in this episode is basically getting a history lesson not just in his story but of of that period of time right. that other people might, you know, coming from that time who might not have his experience might not talk, be as open to talk about that. Right. And the thing is, you know, he literally started learning to box to fight for his life. And he just happened to be phenomenal at it. And then, you know, by the time he got formal instruction, uh, instruction, like at the end of high school and started becoming a collegiate boxer, you know, he had already been boxing for like 10 years on his own from a, like what he learned from a book from Barney, uh, Barney Ross, I think. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so, I know. And he would go on to have a very prolific amateur career. Uh, he was the intercollegiate champion of Arkansas. Wow. Uh, so that means he was the best college boxer, the champion of Arkansas. And he was a two time, uh, silver, uh, AAU silver medalist. So that's the, uh, uh amateur athletic union. So that's like the, the body for all amateur sports. So pretty that's much phenomenal. he was the second best college boxer in the country two years in a row and so and, uh, and his and his his initial training was self-taught yeah self-taught that's phenomenal old school you know but it's just yeah he was just he just and he explains how he just had that natural fighting instinct so i just wanted to bring up the use you know he does uh obviously use some words that were said to him to describe him as an asian some of the uh unfortunate words that were used against african-americans and so forth but uh, now that we got that out of the way, news. What's new in the world of martial arts? Uh, you you went and saw a film since I, the last time I we did. recorded. I did. I went and saw the new Donnie Yen picture, Enter the Fat Dragon. And how was it? I highly enjoyed it. I was surprised. So I went into this movie thinking there would be about three fight scenes. No, there was like six or seven. Some That's... very long extended ones. Some great action. It was a... A lot of fun. Uh, that being said, you must be a fan of the old school Cantonese style comedies, which I 
am not necessarily, mm-hmm. but I still enjoyed the throwback nature of the film. There, I will say right now, there are a lot of fart jokes. There are a lot of jokes about genitalia. There are a lot of, you know, if That's you've what ever, I'm talking about. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, <laughs> you, if you are not familiar with Wong Jing's work, uh, then you might be surprised. If you are, I think you'll enjoy it. And I felt the action was amazing. Uh, some great fight scenes. The finale, I I just, I had a really good time watching it. Uh, is it Shakespeare? No. Did I like it more than Yip Man 4? Yes. Well, that that's a pretty uh, interesting scale there. Yeah. Well, I just compared <laughs> to his last, yeah, Shakespeare and uh, Yip Man 4. You know, they're, they're quite often compared. But other than that, uh, anything else new? You know, I can think about what's new in my life. And I got to see... Uh, a martial art film for the first time on film that was at Ooh. one point my first pay-per-view movie. Uh-huh. And of course, we're talking about Passenger 57. Yes. We went to the New Beverly uh, mat- Monday matinee screening this week, which you may have seen that I posted on social media about. And it was Passenger 57 on film. Uh-huh. And it Beautiful. was fantastic. It was, it was so good. Yeah. Yeah. You know, two new things I've taken away from this movie. <laughs> uh, I shouldn't say two. It's just it's funny. As I mentioned... I had this on VHS as a kid, and mm-hmm. I used to watch it a lot, but I must have not seen it for a good 15 years yeah. or 16 years since high school. And the first half of the movie, I remembered vividly. Okay. And the second half, not so much, but that's probably because I wanted to watch all the fight scenes in the first half. Yeah. And then I kind of forgot about the second half. But And my new appreciation for the movie is the music. Yeah. Stanley Clark. So good. I've, I've been listening to the soundtrack as I drive. <laughs> yeah, I, and, I have uh, it playing yeah. start to finish. And I was playing for Jessica. I'm like, babe, isn't this music like so soothing and awesome? Do, 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 do. And she's like, what are you listening to? <laughs> I'm like, it's great. But uh, yeah, that was so cool. So fun. Uh, once again, it's just amazing to get to go to these screenings. It really is. And I, and I, I just want to say thank you to New Beverly for doing that. I think uh, Phil Blankenship was the curator behind those films. So keep those going because I think we have a few more films coming up this month. Yes, we've got uh, one that I've never seen before. And I love it. Is Big Bullet. Big Bullet. And I never even heard of it. And I watched the trailer. I told you, I got about 45 seconds in. I stopped the trailer and I bought the tickets. Yeah. I I was like, hey, Gavin, I already bought them. We're going to go see it. (laughs) And then also uh, we have uh, Jimmy Wong Unite. Yes. And so, uh, logistically, I got to see if I can make that one. Yeah. Uh, but we'll have to wait and see. But hopefully, because it's Master of the Flying Guillotine. and I mean, that sets... Uh, you got it. That's the gold standard. Yeah, I know. I know. So, uh, other than that, the only other main news I can think of right now is the coronavirus is still causing havoc on uh, the global cinema scene. Uh, James Bond has been now pushed back till the fall which is crazy it was supposed to come out i think april 10th yeah and now it's been postponed to november which is a common release time for the james bond films if i'm not mistaken i, I remember casino royale coming out around that time but it's just still crazy and it, the repercussions that it's having now we'll just have to wait and see how things go i think it might be really interesting to see how the rest of this year plays out and there the fact that we don't have the chinese box office right now could be a very bad thing and maybe a good thing because maybe we might have some films greenlit over the next year that normally wouldn't be because right now the Chinese box office, people don't understand how uh, essential it is to any film that gets released now. They have to think about whether it can sell in China. And if it can't, it, you know, why do you think we have so many less like romantic comedies or 
uh, smaller end films. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just like when you were when I when when the film world was sort of fragmented, you had a lot of art films from China, from Japan, uh-huh. from France, Italy. Uh, Germany and the U.S., but those films, at least from the major market perspective, like I, I'm looking specifically for me and the movies I was watching growing up, Japan, China, and America, those films are now have a wider audience view and definitely far less uh, independent films kind of seeming to hit the hit the screens. Yeah, so it, it will be interesting. Uh, obviously, we just hope things... Uh, I mean, we can only hope that this whole situation gets resolved in some form or another. But uh, let's wrap up this intro soon. So you know what? We both have movie quotes for each other today. So I'm going to let Gavin go first. But he's been giving me some really hard ones. And so I have one for him as well. But all right, let's go. What's your one today? And and again, following in the the theme of antagonists, Mm -hmm. of of films, maybe Western martial art films. Okay, okay. Uh, it's a two-part quote. There's a long gap okay. between the two quotes. I'll give you the first part and can give you the second okay, part. Okay, let's go. Now we'll see how beauty is undone. First part of the quote. Okay. Second part of the quote. Have you ever seen anything so beautiful, so exquisite? Ooh, see, that part sounds a lot more yeah. familiar. Because uh, at first I was thinking like Billy Drago, like Lady yeah. Dragon too. But mm-hmm. uh, it's that second one that sounds a lot more familiar. Say the second part again. Have you ever seen anything so beautiful, so exquisite? Oh, man. It's like, are they looking at a sword? No, no. See, that's too easy. It's like I can see it in my, oh, oh, you're going to have to let me think about this for a minute. But that's a hard one. But all right, I have one for Gavin now. Okay. And so I'm going a little bit different, (laughs) and I am going dubbed English version. And you know what? If, oh, wow. if you're okay. a hardcore kung fu fan, you should know this one. But it's literally one word I'm giving you because you've been giving me all these hard ones. So are you ready? Okay. And of course, when you told me it was one word, the first word I thought of was painful. No, it's definitely it's not, not that. Painful. Oh, you think it'd be that easy. Yeah. <laughs> all right. <clears throat> Here we go. <clears throat> Baby. Oh, God. I feel like I can see the scene. Okay. I'm going to try again. Good laugh. <laughs> Baby. And you don't have the full quote. You don't have like no. The there's there's nothing else. Uh, I should be able to get this. I feel like I can see the film, but I'm probably seeing the wrong film. I can I can give you a uh, another one word quote from the movie from a, a different character. So that's the antagonist. Okay, which is always, always antagonists always have the best quotes. Right. Would you Would you like one from the protagonist? I think maybe yes. Okay, slow motion. Grandpa. Oh my God! I know the film, but I can't. I I, th- I think in the outro you're gonna have to tell me the answer. Okay. All right. So on that note, we're gonna get to the episode, and we will be back with you guys after my interview, part one with Leo Fong. So good to see you again, Sifu. Good to see you. So AJ. yeah, today I just want to talk about your story because for me. It's very inspirational. Yeah. Like all the stuff you went through. And we've had, uh, I've had the pleasure of training with you a couple of times now yeah, yeah. and learning the Wei Kundo system. And yeah. Uh, so, yeah, let's just kind of, let's start from the beginning. So, okay, I'll start from the beginning. Yeah. Okay. Um, <clears throat> in 1934, mm-hmm. uh, my dad, uh, uh, you know, like a Chinese immigrant, he, he, he came years before, established himself. Uh, working at a restaurant in uh, Chicago for my uncle. Okay. 
And so he sent for us, and I was seven years old, almost seven. Uh-huh. And so we came here in 1934. Uh, and so where were you born exactly? I was born in uh, Canton, China. Canton, China. So nowadays what most people know is Guangdong. Guangdong, yeah. 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 And then there's a little, a little village called Sunwui. Okay. Uh, and um, Which is in Jiangmen, I believe. Yeah, something district. like that. Yeah. And, and then, uh, so when he uh, made enough money, he sent for us. And my mom came, took a 30-day 30, 30 uh, boat, I think, it's USS Roosevelt or something. I okay. <laughs> and, and all I looked for 30 days out that porthole, nothing but water out there. Oh, I bet. Yeah. I bet. And so what was that ship ride like? Because for people Well, nowadays... it was, uh, <laughs> it, it, uh, you know, when it got sea got rough, uh, I felt, you know, uh, nauseated. Right. Yeah, I didn't throw up or anything. I guess some people did. Yeah. Oh, I bet. Yeah. So then we landed in, in Seattle. Okay. So in Seattle, uh, we went to immigration, and they threw us in a, uh, I think it's a jail, actually, but uh, uh. but it's a, it's a, a, a center for uh, processing, you know. Right. So we were there for two weeks. Oh, geez. Yeah, yeah two weeks in, in, in jail. So, so I, uh, being six, six and a half years old, I didn't know what's going on. I said, it's not too good. I can't run around. I, I got to be confined to, to a cell, you know. And at that time, uh, you also didn't speak English yet, correct? No, no. I yes. just, I just rattled off Chinese. Yes. <laughs> so it was, <laughs> it was like extra confusing for you. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, and anyway, after, after two weeks, uh, uh, the good news is they going. We 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 uh we got all our papers processed and and so we caught a train, and uh, so we went from Seattle to Montana, the northern route, and then came down to Chicago, right, where my dad was, and uh, he met us, and I remember my uncle. He he was working for my uncle, uh, my dad. I remember my uncle. It was 1934. And he said he's going to give me a treat and took me to the Chicago World's Fair. Oh, wow. 1934. Whoa. And I can still remember, you know, the balloons and all that uh, stuff, you know, and, and, and being about seven years old. And, and, then, uh, and then my dad said he had already made the arrangement to, uh, to buy a, a grocery store. He had bought one. Okay. And then he met us up there. And so we came and went to a little town called... Weiner, Arkansas, and it was population nine hundred. But when when the during the week when they they pick cotton, you saw nothing but seas of blacks out there. Uh-huh. So you know at least two or three thousand. But they were not considered in the census at that time. Oh, that's okay. They, they were nobodies. They said a very different time. Yeah, a different time. Thirty four. Yeah. And <clears throat> so my dad was uh, was explaining why he just moved to Weiner, uh, and he said that he was in Park in Arkansas, which was about. 2000 uh, population and they were trying to run him out of town oh. because they, they you know the the white citizens and Ku Klux Klan that were very active in all the little towns so they're going to run him out of town and say we don't want no Chinese and Chinamen around here and and so what he did my dad is different than most uh, uh, Chinese guys he wasn't a very passive person <laughs> he packed a 38 in his pocket all the time Oh geez. Yeah. <laughs> so he said, "I was sitting in a rocking chair. I li- they all uh, in those days, all the Chinese store people live in the back of the store. Right. So okay, he 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 had a room back there. So he's facing the the front door. So he said, in order to sleep, he get a rocking chair, and and there's a refrigerator between him and the front door. 
So he has a double barrel shotgun in his lap. <laughs> he said, anybody try to break through that door, he said, they're going to get their first blast. Jeez. So at that time in Arkansas, how much of a Chinese population was there? Or were you the only Chinese family? Well, here's, here's what the thing is. There are a lot of Chinese family in Arkansas. Uh-huh. Okay, but what they did, they, they got together as a group and, and, and agree not to open more than one grocery store in a small town, depending on population. Now, Forest City had uh, uh, had the population of maybe 16,000. Okay. So there were two Chinese stores there, one in the south, one in the north of the town. <clears throat> so that was their gentleman's agreement. And so they formed that into an association called Chinese Merchants Association. And my dad was a president, so every summer they, they find a, uh, a town where they can all meet. So you never saw so many Chinese in your life. And when I was a kid, I saw these these, these Chinese girls. I said, "Boy, that's that woman's uh, nice looking," you know. And and I used to, and I was only about, I got to be about ten. I think yeah. I started looking at uh, Chinese girls. Yeah. Because because uh, you know I couldn't date any white girls because right. they, they're too prejudiced. You can ask them a date, and they, they look at you like, uh, you know, like uh, they refer to the blacks and niggers. So mm-hmm. back in those days. You either had a black or white. Right. But when I when I got uh, where I could speak English, then I was almost eight years old. So my dad, I said, I'm going to enroll you in school. Mm-hmm. So they had, uh, uh, the blacks had their school and the white school, and there's no in between. So they didn't, uh, they wouldn't let me go to black school. They made me go to the white school. So I'm the only uh, non-white in that school. Wow. So at an early age, I'd imagine you faced obviously a lot of racial discrimination. Well, the first day uh, I got to school, I did. And yeah. and uh, all these kids would, were at recess time would gather around me and they were singing. And I was just smiling. I thought, God, I said, I, I'm getting all the attention here. And, but they were singing Ching Chong Tineman and making it rhyme and all that. And then when I went back and my dad asked me, how was it? Uh, I said, well, you know, they all like me. They, 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 they all sing to me. So what did they sing? And I told him, he started turning red in the face. He said, you know, that's exactly what they did to me when I was living in Indiana. Mm-hmm. And then I quit school. I didn't go back. And so he told me uh, that that they don't like me and they, 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 they slanting me racially and everything. Gave me a lecture on that. So I soaked it in. I didn't say nothing. And, and and I must have had his uh, hostility because I went back to school next day, and uh, and the teacher said uh, we're going to play a game of softball. Okay. And uh, and then and then Leo, you you play first base. I said okay. And then uh, 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 and then the guy together and this kid hit a blooper, and come running to the first base, and I, I threw him a ball and I kind of bumbled with it and uh-huh. then tried to pull him out. And and and, and I, it's too late to touch uh, to touch him, so he wasn't out. So he looked up at me and said, "Chink, boom, pow!" <laughs> and down he went and screaming and crying. And the teacher came and picked me up and started spanking me. How dare you hit somebody? You're not supposed to. I said, "But Miss Carey, uh, uh, Miss Carey was the first day teacher, mm-hmm. but you know she was at my wedding." <laughs> <laughs> she told I I told the story, and Miss Carey said, "Yeah, you were naughty." I had trouble with you, but we became friends. And uh, here she is in her 80s, and, 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 and I just I got married back in the 80s. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so, so, so everybody laughing, you know, because I, I, I had my school teacher there, my first grade teacher. 
So she and then she made me stand in the hall for two two days. Jeez. Don't go to class. Stand in the hall. That was punishment in those days. It, it was embarrassment to be standing in the hall. People, girls come by and say, "Shame on you, you naughty." And that, that didn't that didn't really embarrass me. You know, I grew up hardcore. Right. Yeah, yeah. So 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 I didn't embarrass me. I said, "So what?" I stand it two days. Yeah, screw around me. I'll hit him with a baseball bat. <laughs> <laughs> so that fighting instinct was there because, as you just showed me, which uh, yeah. obviously our listeners can't see, that was just a right cross. And yeah. So obviously, at that time, there was no place for you to learn martial arts. No, no, I did even boxing. It, it was natural. Right, and so, but I do know that there was a particular book you picked up to teach yourself boxing yeah. and to learn self-defense. Fundamentally uh, of, of boxing by Barney Ross. I still have it. Yes, and for yeah. th- our listeners that don't know, Barney, Barney Ross was a champion in the early 20th century and one of the few three-division champions. Yeah, yeah, he he, he fought back in uh, during World War II, mm-hmm. and, and and he uh, he was on morphine uh, addiction for a while. That's right. That's before because he was injured, mm-hmm. and they kept shooting him morphine yeah. until he became an addict. Right. And but when I saw the book, I still got it. And I look at it, it; still makes sense. Yeah. He taught me how to do jabs, hooks, and uppercuts combination. How to use a bag and all that. And and and, uh, and so anyway, I um, I start following the structure in the book, and boy, did I have the the competitive edge. Yeah. And I'm I'm working here. I am ten years old, uh, almost eleven, uh, training out of that book, and 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 I'd hang up some stuff and. And I've been punching it, you know. I had a pillow in my room, and I hang <laughs> in punching that thing, and, and and shadow boxing a lot, and and so whenever uh, somebody give me any problem, I say nothing. I, I go over there and put my finger on his chest, push it. I said, "You're full of shit." And I turn and I watch him make his step with the left foot. He walks right in the right straight right. <laughs> it's just the sweet science, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, it worked then and it works now. It works now, yeah. 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 And so I think you told me once before, uh, when you had your first actual kind of sanctioned competitive match, you still hadn't formally trained, correct? No, no. Yeah, so no. how old were you when you had your first match? I, I was uh, I was uh, about 12 years old. Okay. And then, and then what happened was I had been doing all this street fighting stuff, mm-hmm. you know, schoolyard fighting, and, and, uh, so so a uh, couple of guys in the 12th grade, he said, hey, Fong, I know you like to fight. We're going to have a card down at the old schoolhouse. That's the schoolhouse when I first went there. Yeah. But they abandoned it because it consolidated to another school in a bigger town called Madison. Mm-hmm. So Madison had a little big population. So this is big old brick uh, school building. And we had old, uh, old frame building there. So that, that schoolhouse in, in Widener was left abandoned for many years. Ah. So us kids go, would go down in an empty schoolhouse and run all up and down the, back and forth and that, that inside there. So these two uh, guys called themselves boxing promoters, and they, 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 they had matches there. Because okay. there was a stage there. When we used to have an auditorium, there was a stage there. So he put the rope across there, and then a rope over here and rope over there, <laughs> and then you got the wall. Right. So the first time... Uh, they asked me, they said, hey, Bob, we're going to have boxing matches at the old schoolhouse. You want to fight? I said, yeah. So went down there, and I said, who am I going to fight? And, 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 and who walks out there? A guy named Dave Hodge. Okay. He was, he was a quarterback on the football team, 165 pounds, and I'm 110. Well, you were 12 years old, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I said, you guys, you, you're crazy. I don't want to fight uh, 
uh, he's in high school and I'm all, I'm, I'm only in, uh, in in grade school. Yeah. And and he said, well, you want to fight or not? I said, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so they had this cowbell. They go bang, and I went in and started swinging like this, and then swinging. And Dave just stepped back and hit me with a straight right, and I knocked me in, into the wall. My head hit the wall, and I slid down, and I was out. Jesus. And so when I got up, uh, uh, those two guys, they, they got a big kick out of me uh, uh, getting knocked out because they didn't like me anymore, and I uh. liked them. See, so so I got up, and I shook my head, and, uh, and then uh, I walked home. Mm-hmm. Man, my head was aching when I walked home. So I sneaked in the back doors, make, hopefully my mom wasn't up. <laughs> they were all sleeping. So I went on into my bedroom, and I lay there. But, you know, I wasn't uh, de- depressed or anything. I just said, what in the hell did I do wrong? Right. And I got thinking. I said, next time they, I'm going to insist uh, uh, they get somebody near my size, and I'm not going to go swinging in. I'm going to keep distance and, and, and work my way in. Okay. So they saw me at school Monday morning. They said, hey, Fong, you want to fight? We're going to do another one next Friday. And, and, and <laughs> they're laughing. And I stopped. I said, yeah. And, and they look at each other, no shit. I said, yeah, give me another guy. But don't match me up with somebody, an athlete like Dave Hodge. Yeah. And I said, give me somebody my size and, and, and near my experience. I said, if you, want, you guys want a, you know, a fight, and, and and so they said, yeah, okay, okay. So I can't believe you got you want to fight again, you know, like that. So we show I showed up and he had some turkey there and and uh, he looked like a little bigger than me, but uh, but I said that's okay. It wasn't as big as old Dave Hodge. <laughs> <laughs> so so they hit that cowbell and I move, I move, I move, and 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 I dip my foot because I was reading all about that in the book. Dip my foot. I swung with like a left hook. I caught him right upside here, Ooh. and down he went. Yeah, yeah. And, and for our listeners that don't know, when you take a solid hook to, was it behind the ear? Or under, the, under the ear. Under the ear. Yeah, that's. Yeah. No, thank you. That hurts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he was out, and I won nine of those fights uh, from then on. Wow. Okay, so yeah. these continued through kind of what would be junior high school through high school. Yeah, right? yeah, 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 yeah. And how did you do? Uh, you I, won. I, I won all nine of them. Nice. Yeah. Very yeah. good. Because I had begun to, to, to hone my skills right and by the time uh you know i was getting into my um my 16 17 years old and 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 then um and then what happened was uh i used to go to church i i it, i didn't go to church for a while i i went to church but we my my buddy jt jt king mm-hmm. and i would crawl into the church and we would uh just smoke uh i'd grab a package of uh uh, cool cigarettes from my from the store, seated from my store, and the only reason I can get out of the store is to go to church. Oh. See, because my dad makes me work. Uh, as soon as the bus let me off from uh, on the street to go go home, he got me working in the grocery store. So I was confined there. I, I had no recreation time outside of school. Right. So I I tell him, uh, and they were you know Christians in China, so they didn't mind uh, us kids go to church. Okay. So I said I'm gonna go to church. But I don't go inside. <laughs> <laughs> so it was your way to kind of relax and have some time. Yeah, off. so I, I stayed at least uh, two hours, and then I said, "I'm do it because he's gonna come. My dad's gonna come looking for me." <laughs> and so, so, so T. T. King and I would would crawl into the church, and I would share that 
package of cool cigarettes with him because I liked it because of menthol, you see. Ah. Yeah. So then uh, your formal, actual, real boxing training, did that begin when you went to Hendricks College? Yeah. Okay. And then, so, so anyway, here's how I got there. Uh, so by 17 and a half years old, one day I said, JT, that's me and you go inside and see what's going on in that church because I've never been inside of a church, you see. And cause all I hear is a minister stomping the floor. He's one of the hell-fired brimstone uh, preachers. And, and, and uh, is it okay? Yeah, it's okay. Keep going. Yeah, anyway, he would stomp the floor when to make a point. And then I, dust would hit us in the face because we lay in there like that. Because <laughs> you're underneath the church. Yeah, yeah. So then we crawl out of there and went there. And it was Sunday school time. And so as soon as we got in, Sunday school teacher said, said, uh, uh, what grade are you boys in? And I said, we, we're in the seventh grade. And, uh, and uh, he said, you come in here. And you, you guys, in this Sunday school class, you sit down. So I'm, I'm sitting down and the teacher was telling a story. So I'm listening. And and he says, uh, and she got the point. Said, and he swung his his sling and and hit the giant the Goliath between the eyes, and he fell dead. I said, wait a minute, that's something I would like to learn. Ah, <laughs> so it was the action-packed story of yeah, the Bible yeah. that caught so, you. So yeah. so I came back and I I read the the story, and it showed uh, that the uh, that that uh, Goliath was seven nine feet tall. He had a sword, a javelin, and David. Took a slingshot, went down to the brook and got five smooth stones and swung it and hit him with one of them right between the eye. He went down. He went down. So later I began to read that story, and 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 I'm going to do a book uh, this year on uh, how David defeated Goliath. Mm. Uh, and uh, basically, number one, uh, he has simple tools. Right. He, the pebbles. He didn't need no swords, all that. <laughs> so you get bogged down with a bunch of techniques. Yep. Number two, he kept distance. It said that he stood away from him, and when he he threw a sling. And before he went, Saul said, "You're going to fight this giant." He said, "I'm going to go out and shut his mouth or whatever." And Saul said, "Well, you you just a shepherd boy. How can you fight this professional uh, fighter?" So he says, why don't you use my armor? So he puts his armor on, and he stumbled around and fell, and he takes it off. He says, I cannot go with this. Too cumbersome. So that means we do not want to put on somebody else's armor. Mm -hmm. We don't want to be imitating somebody like oh. all, the, all the Bruce Lee guys doing. Yeah. None of them can fight. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I've been doing seminars with all the Bruce Lee guys. They said to me, he says, one guy said to me, you don't, you don't do, uh, don't look like your stuff that you can do. I said, let me ask you a question. If I knock you on your ass, does it make a difference when I call it? <laughs> and the guy said, uh, I guess you got a point. Yeah. I said, I said, you guys are all doing sidekicks to the knee and eye jab. I said, Bruce makes it work. You can't make it work. I said, throw it, eye jab me. I threw it. I said, I said, now, you know, you already commit yourself. Boom. Mm -hmm. Boom. And what Leo's doing right there is he's pretty much doing a roll, yeah. and then you can roll into your left and, hook. And, and, and yeah. So so uh, so the guy said, well, you got a point. But still, everywhere I go, everybody's sidekick to the knee, I jab. It's, yeah. it's uh, funny you should say that because I know in the current world of Jeet Kune Do, there's a lot of discrepancies between who's legitimate 
you know, what branches are legitimate. And even my years living in China, remember, I, I lived yeah, in yeah. China for many years. Yeah. Occasionally, I would see advertisements for Jeet Kune Do schools. And I'd say, well, how can they have Jeet Kune Do schools? Where did they learn from? And the funny part is occasionally you'd see them in the game of death yellow jumpsuit, just, you know, pretending well, to be Bruce. Yeah. It's, it's not, you know, real Jeet Kune Do. It's just an imitation. It is. You see, Bruce already told me. That's why I'm so adamant about it. And even Linda appreciate the fact that I have not come out and exploited uh, my relationship with Bruce. Right. And, and, and no one knew who I was until just recently. They said, you, you knew Bruce? I said, hell, I hung out with him every week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we, we, we go eat. And we, I mean, I was not his student. We were buddies. Right. You guys were training and sparring partners. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, 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 first time I met Bruce in Oakland, uh, he, he was going to tell me uh, that everybody got lined up. I asked him, how come everybody lined up like that? Mm -hmm. Because he was twixing, teaching Wing Chun. Right. And so the stance uh, Sifu was demonstrating is the uh, typical Wing Chun stance. Wing Chun stance. Yeah, uh, he said, well, uh, you right-handed? I said, yeah. He said, well, then that must be your strong hand. You won't put your strong hand forward. I said, no, mine's the other way around. I said, I I'm like this. This is my stance. Mm -hmm. and, and and I shot a three-punch combination, bam. And, and and he said, well, do what you want. I said, I'll tell you what, Bruce, I'll hang out with you and Jimmy upstairs. Because yeah. Bruce never taught a class. He never teach a class. He'd come down and check you out, and he'd go on. So anybody said he trained under Bruce is not right. In the Bay Area at that time. Per se. Yeah. So was this James Lee? Was this the James, James Lee? Yeah. yeah. James Lee uh, wasn't even trained with him. Uh, James Lee would take pointers from him. Right. And, and, and James had his own way of fighting, too. Mm -hmm. And so the three of us would go upstairs, sit down and, and, and talk about martial arts. And um, I got more out of that because that was I was seeing where Bruce was coming from. So actually... The whole thing uh, that changed him was when he had that Wong Jumpman fight in Oakland. Right. After the fight, I went out there the next day. I couldn't go that day because he, uh, Jimmy called me and said, we're going to fight tonight. Uh, 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 Wong Jumpman's coming over to the dojo because he had just rented a little building downtown Oakland. Uh, do you sell, used to sell used cars. Ah. And, and so it was a sales office they used. And it wasn't very big. It was a half size from here over here, you know. And uh, had two doors, one here and one there. And and so I said, well, Jimmy, I said, uh, uh, it takes me an hour and a half to get there, and you got to be over by the time then. <laughs> so I said, i come tomorrow. He said, yeah, okay. So I said, but call me afterwards and see if tell me what happened. Two and a half, three hours later, he calls me, and J Jimmy said, it's over. I said, who won? He said, you talked to Bruce. And Bruce said, that son of a bitch ran from me. And and I said, what happened? He said, well, first he wants to to, to sit down and stand up and talk about rules. <laughs> so I just forward blast him. I said, hell with rules. He turned around and started running. So his uh, his hand was swinging like that while he's running, and Bruce is behind him, and it, 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 it cut, made a cut in his, uh, his neck because he was there when I saw it. Uh, I saw him next day. And then he says, uh, he said, finally he stumbled, fell, and I fell on top of him. I'm getting ready punch him out like ground and pound him and then then he kept yelling, yelling in Chinese I give up I give up don't hit me no more I give up he said you tell your lackeys here that you give up and I don't want to see you and any of those people again because they said about Linda told me it was about nine or ten guys and the only people that showed up for Bruce were Linda and Jimmy right and and uh, 
And so anyway, <clears throat> I went up there the next day, and I told Bruce, I said, I'll see you guys next tomorrow, and we'll talk about it. And uh, so I'm standing at the, the stairways of the garage, and Bruce had a, a glove, leather glove hanging from a chain. Mm -hmm. He would bounce around like Muhammad Ali, pouncing around, punching it, pow, 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 throwing a jab and a hook, and you can't tell whether it's a hook or a jab. And, and, but there was an angle to it like that. He, he always punched like this. You see? Yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, when he got done, he saw me standing there. He said, hey, Leo, you know what? I'm going to call my new system. I said, what? Jit Kune Do. I said, what in the hell is that? <laughs> he, he, said, he, he said, the way of the intercepting fist. See? And, 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 and you, you, what you do, you intercept a guy before he even gets off the ground. So uh, later he explained to me that he calls it an initial move. And and, uh, and at this time, uh, did Bruce know your boxing credentials? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. He he, because uh, I used to uh, see when when I told him I didn't want to go down there and, and train with Bob Baker and those guys. He had Bob <laughs> Baker teaching class, right? And I said I don't want to train like that because I was going to. I tell you why, Bruce. I'm going to Sacramento State University boxing team because I have a uh, have a church member. Who, whose name was Roger Fong, but no relation. He was on the boxing team. Mm -hmm. So he said, hey, Reverend, you know he used to box. Why don't you come train with us? So I used to go down to the Sac State boxing team at 3 o'clock every afternoon, five days a week, and spar three or four rounds with 118-pounders, 145-pounders, 155-pounders. And I was only about 127 at the time. <clears throat> And at that time, you had already finished your collegiate career when you yeah, were fighting in Arkansas. I had, I had gone to four years of college. Right. And I mean, four years of college and three years of seminary mm -hmm. in Texas. I fought in Texas while I was still in seminary one year. And then after that, I got a job teaching, uh, coaching boxing in, in West Dallas. So I, I uh, got paid. And so I quit. Uh, I hung it up. Right. But a lot of people don't know you had a lot of... Uh, as a collegiate boxer, you won uh, a few different championships, correct? Yeah, yeah, I won uh, 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 Arkansas in collegiate championship. Right. And and I won. Uh, I went to finals uh, twice uh, in, in in AU. Mm -hmm. And then and then I, when I went to uh, Texas, I, I went uh, went to the finals in AU and lost lost by decision. And so uh, you <clears> had <throat> a few silver medals <clears throat> in the AU. Yeah, and then. Uh, and, and and then I won uh, intercollegiate twice in, in, in college. Right, in Arkansas. Yeah, yeah we fought, uh, you know, Arkansas Tech and Henderson State Teachers College. And right. All those uh, there. So you, for the listeners that may not quite understand, that means pretty much you were like the university champion of Arkansas. Yeah. And on a nationwide level, you were like number two, three and then, times. And then I fought in a lot of uh, inter, uh, inter club matches. Right. Like the Little, Little Rock Boys Club would fight... Uh, uh, Company G in, uh, in, in Conway, Arkansas. See, I was a member of the... Uh, see, when I went to uh, Hendricks College, they had a boxing team. And a guy named Kirby K. O'Donohue was, uh, the, the, was a trainer, was a coach, because he, he boxed an army in World War II. Uh -huh. and, and, and so uh, so he taught me a lot of stuff. And, and, then, um, and then after uh, a year, he, he had dropped out of college and went back to work in Little Rock and they, they disbanded the boxing team. And I went to uh, Conway, uh, uh, not too far from the college. They had a uh, National Guard uh, a team over there, boxing team. See, boxing, amateur boxing was very popular in my days. Right. Everybody, Arkansas State Teachers College had a good one. They were Arkansas 
state champion at one time, and I used to go spot with all their, their top guys. And our uh, our good friend, a mutual friend, Antonio Grichefo, yeah. he actually wrote a whole article kind of about how uh, it used to be every Friday night in these small cities, there was boxing yep, everywhere, exactly. whether yeah. it was amateur, collegiate, professional. Yeah. But then when we started getting in the advent of, of television and the big nationalized yeah. televised events of boxing, these smaller cards and these smaller city clubs and even university clubs began to diminish. Yeah, because they had other things to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because, yeah, because that was a big deal in, in around uh, my neighborhood in Arkansas when they had a boxing match, everybody showed up. Yeah. Yeah, you, you think it's a world champion or something. Yeah, you felt like the world champion. But I, but I met a lot of good guys, uh, uh, pros. And when they come to Little Rock to fight uh, local guys, like Joey Maxim, mm -hmm. uh, he beat a guy named Bobby Sykes, Bob Sykes, in, in 10 rounds. He wiped him out in 10 rounds, 10 rounds, 10 went 10 rounds, and every round he won. So, uh, But, you know, it's amazing. And later, in later years, this was 1950. In later years, uh, which was uh, in in the seventies, uh -huh. uh, uh, I ran into him in Las Vegas. Okay. And and uh, in fact, I I have a, a three quarter inch tape. I, I interviewed him. He was a doorman at some nightclub, but but I said, "Hey, Joey," because uh, his friend was a friend of mine, was one of my uh, movie uh, producer partners, and and he said, "Hey, uh, Joey, you know." We know his whole family. I said, well, let's go to Vegas and go see him. So I met him, and, and, and I told Joey, I said, Joey, I saw you fight Bob Sykes in Little Rock. And then and, and then, then I heard about you and Sugar Ray Robinson. They claimed that you uh, uh, that Robinson uh, collapsed from the heat. He said, yeah, man, I'm in the heat too. Yeah. <laughs> That's no excuse. <laughs> but then while we walking, he's playful too. He turned around and go, boom, hit me right here. And I said, damn, man, you... You still got it. Yeah, said, right. Don't the solar boxes. Yeah, yeah. 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 He, uh, uh, he, he, he only time, uh, I think Archie Moore beat him. Okay. But, but he beat everybody. He was, he was, uh, he wasn't a real knockout artist, but he was, uh, he was able to dance back and forth, dance back and then he throw that, that half uppercut and half hook. Ah, so kind of that angle. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so he, was he almost like a bit of a Willie Pep type thing? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah he, okay. For for light heavy, he was 175 pounds. Oh, okay. And, but he moved around uh, pretty good, like Willie Pep. Yeah. See, I got a, a card from Willie Pep. I kept uh, uh, wishing me luck in my amateur career. Did you ever get to meet Willie Pep? Uh, uh, no. Oh, I wow. met Sandy Sadler, though. Oh, Sandy Sadler, <laughs> who fought Willie Pep three times and won two out of the three times. He put a thumb in his eye, and his eye was staying like that. Ooh. Yeah, there's a picture of uh, <clears throat> one of the Ring magazine. Where uh, Willie Pep, I mean uh, Sandy Sadler, stuck his thumb in his eye, Ooh. but uh, Sandy came to Sacramento to fight Joey Lopes. Okay, and so I, I went down and met him, and I told him, "Hey, I I saw your fights with uh, Willie Pep. He was a nice guy." And another guy was Jimmy Carter. He was good. He was a church guy. Not the president, Jimmy. No, Carter. no, 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 yeah. no. Just, uh, he he was lightweight champion. Uh, Got it. Really got. Yeah, I met all those boxers. I used to hang out with them all the time because that was in my. That was my uh, obsession, man. I wanted to meet all these guys, and uh, and I met Tony Zale. He was my favorite. In fact, I went to Chicago after I um, I took a summer leave, uh, and I had twenty five fights in the ring already. I got knocked out twice. Right. And then and I TKO got TKO once, 
And then, uh, but I knocked out 18 people by within the first or second round with left hook. I was about to say, I, I remember you saying, and for me, uh, being as you know, I trained with Sugarfoot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And one of the tools that I definitely did not have before him, and now I'd like to think I've developed decently, is the left hook. Oh. And for me, it's my favorite, the Czech left hook. Hey, that's all you need. Yeah. That's all you need. You, I, I got 12 ways of uh, setting the guy up with left hook. Yeah. I'm going to come up with a book with that. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking and, forward to it. Yeah, uh, and, and, and but I did, I got the newspaper clipping, uh, you know, I'm not bullshitting. I knocked out 18 guys within one to two rounds. I just move around, move around, bow. What was your favorite way to set up the left hook? Would you slip and hook, or was it a faint jab and left? Well, hook? well, I would jab a couple of times. Right. Jab a couple of times, and what I have tried to develop is everything sliding off here, so you can't telegraph it. Ah. Uh, bang, bang. So you're throwing from bang. the hips. Yeah. You see, you see, boom. Tell me when I was a hook. Bam. Right. See. It's it's that broken rhythm kind of where it's jab, yeah, jab, yeah. jab, and the their brain thinks, okay, jab, okay. Leo's just throwing jabs. That's all. It, bam. And then the, the another one, my favorite right now, is a stepping uh, right hand. You 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 shift, and boom. Oh, so a switch stance. You switch into that right. Yeah, hand. yeah. Because that way, suddenly you become southpaw, and somehow you get disorientated in your mind when I go from here. You see. Yeah. But if I fight like that, it's okay. If I fight like that, it's different. That's why all the JKD guys are fighting uh, left-handed. I mean, left hand forward. Right. Right hand forward, and, and because. They think they, they don't understand why, but they do it because Bruce Lee does it. Yeah, but you're doing it because there's a method to it. You're yeah. messing with your opponent's brain. Yeah, that's what you do. You go, yep. you go, bang, bang, boom. You see <laughs> the power that you're able to generate even right there oh, is incredible. But because if you throw, you explode at the same time you move your feet and hands simultaneous. Right. Don't do this and then that. That's that's no, no yeah. good. Your it's body mechanics. Yeah. And I've had the pleasure of training with you now a few times in your Wei Kundo system, and you were teaching me some of the set shadow boxing routines, and it has a lot of that see, switching footwork. I tell you what, you can you can bet put money here, and you hit him every time if. If he's a Jikendo guy, uh -huh. boom. You see? <laughs> I, because I, the reason I don't is, know how you're still so fast. Because the reason is, if I hit you here and then I do this, right. you can block it. Yeah, of course. But the moment I, I hit, the, as soon as this tap is there, mm -hmm. you don't have time because your, your brain is still right there. Yeah, so <laughs> but what Leo was demonstrating was kind of a, a parry trap and then automatically yeah. throwing that right and, cross. And it's not hard. It's, you don't yeah. overcommit. It's tap and hit. Boom. Okay, you guys, so I uh, hope you enjoyed that episode. Once again, part two will be coming out in the next few days. But as for now, uh, back to our movie quotes. Okay, I want mine again, that okay. you, but in the voice. Okay, here we go. Now we'll see how beauty is undone. Have you ever seen anything so, anything so beautiful, so exquisite? Uh, Think more... Australian than English. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, it's not under the gun. No. No, but... Uh, antagonist. Yeah, exactly, antagonist. And you were close with Billy Drago. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, uh. Just think of our poor protagonist looking at the antagonist as he says this in sheer horror and shock. Uh. Because it is not 
beautiful or exquisite. All right, I give up. What is it? No, you're so you were so. Oh, close. what? Okay, oh, God, gosh darn it, Australian, Billy Drago, but not Billy Drago. Uh, Have uh, you ever seen anything so beautiful, so exquisite? I can see it. I know you can. Uh, uh, no. Okay. Just, just give it to me. It's Lady Dragon. The oh, first it's the one. first one. Gosh he's darn it. Just see, thrown, that's yeah. He's thrown oh. diamonds into the pool. I, oh. The women have jumped into the pool. They're fighting each other. Yeah, They're bleeding. Yeah. And of course, Richard Norton playing the antagonist says... Have you ever seen right. anything so beautiful, so exquisite? Yeah, yep. I was watching the VHS copy you gave me the other day. Well, not the other day. It was like a month or two back. Yeah. But okay. So uh, yours. Would you like yours one more time? Yeah, you can give it to me. Okay. I don't, I, I you might have to tell me, but All I right. want to hear you <clears throat> do this again. <laughs> Baby. <laughs> Come on. I don't know. That would be uh, Yen Shi Kwan talking to Jackie Chan oh, in Fearless Hyena. Of course. So it's when he's doing the emotional kung yes. fu and then he starts crying. And he just he goes, <laughs> baby. <laughs> so that was me being a jerk and giving you a really hard no, one. No, that's a good one. Okay. That's a good one. So anyways, yeah, episode one uh, will be coming out what is hopefully tonight. Uh, I'm not going to say what day it is just in yeah. case it takes tomorrow. But, it will uh, be out tonight, whatever will, night yeah, this is. It's yeah, out. There you go. And then we'll have number two following in a couple days. And then uh, we'll definitely be recording a new one next week of some sort. Uh, and stay tuned because if we have any new information about an interview, we'll let you guys know. Absolutely. So we have some lined up once again. Uh, sometimes it's just hard to logistically get it all uh, sorted and yeah anyways thank you for listening and we'll uh, be with you guys next time take care guys bye bye